Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust, a podcast for digital transformation leaders where we discuss the latest cyber attack issues, enterprise security strategies, and current security events so that you can successfully accelerate network and security transformation. And now here's what's on our mind this week. Welcome everyone to another episode of Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. I'm Lisa Lorenzen here with my colleague, Pam Kubiatowski, and we have a special guest today, Sahir Hideatella, VP of Active Defense here at Zscaler. What is active defense? That's what we're here to explore today. So Sahir, I'm gonna kick us off by asking you to give us a brief overview of your role and your background. Thanks for having me, Lisa and Pam, and glad to be here. So I've actually come into Zscaler off the acquisition of the company I founded, which was called Smokescreen. And we were an active defense company, which basically meant that we take the fight to the adversary. I started in security about 18 years ago. I was a red team guy, so I figured out people could pay you money to break into systems, which was very interesting. Founded a company around that, and then after that, moved to the incident response side, and then started Smokescreen in 2015 with the idea of basically saying that security can't be so passive. We can't just say that we're going to detect the bad guy every single time. We need to be a bit more proactive and try to bring offensive security thinking to uh, the defender's armory. And so that's sort of what we did. Uh, ran Smokescreen as the, as the CEO from 2015 till Zscaler acquired us in 2021. And now I run the team that does everything adversary engagement related. And we'll talk a bit about that as we go through the call today. Terrific. Can you give us a little background on how Smokescreen came to be? That's a good question. So it actually came from a place of disappointment. What happened was we used to keep breaking into all these networks, all these highly protected banking environments, critical infrastructure environments. And, you know, when you've done this maybe a hundred times, it gets a bit boring. And there's this sort of lather, rinse, repeat process that, you know, will work. And pretty much everyone who does security assessment work can probably identify with this. So what we said is, how could we really change the game here? How could we make it really difficult? Assuming we were on the other side, what would we do to make life very difficult for the bad guy. That sort of was the, the founding principle behind Smokescreen that we always wanted to have stuff that's authentic to how the adversary thinks. Because we think a number of security solutions don't really, like, you know, if you were doing airport security and you'd never seen a gun, a bomb, or a knife, you wouldn't be very effective at doing security, right? So if you can bring that knowledge to the defender's table, we think that's really powerful. And we're going to talk about how that fits in the zero trust ecosystem because it's just a natural fit. That's a fantastic analogy. I love it. So Sahir, can you, you know, a lot of people talk about the anatomy of, of an attack. Can you kind of give us an overview? What does that really mean? So Pam, when you look at attacks today, there's been sort of a fundamental shift in the way they operate. All of us remember WannaCry. We woke up one morning and we've got systems with this message on our screen, which says we've got encryption and life is bad. But if you think about it, the security industry for the better part of a decade has focused on detecting malicious software. That's what we've done. Probably even further, you know, we started with antivirus and even now, most of the tooling we have is designed to catch bad software. So we will say that this piece of software, this piece of code is not supposed to be running. It's not supposed to be doing something. But if you think about the way adversaries have changed, they operate human, it's sort of human driven, right? So ransomware, for example, is human operated. You're not fighting a piece of software anymore. You're fighting a, a human being. And I think the CrowdStrike guys say this really well. They say, you don't have a malware problem. You have an adversary problem. And that's absolutely right. 
So that's really what we're trying to solve for. We're trying to say that the Zscaler platform from when we've got ZIA on an endpoint, we're, we're catching malware across the board. But how do we catch malicious actors if there's a thinking, rational human being on your network? That's what we're trying to solve for with active defense. So we want to go toe-to-toe with the bad guys, the really serious ones that put you on the 9 p.m. news. So nation-state grade attacks, human-operated ransomware, all, all the stuff that you typically read about. That's our wheelhouse. And we do this by trying to make the, the human decision-making process very difficult for them. So we try to reduce costs for the defender, both economic time and effort, and make it much more cognitively difficult for the adversary. That's so interesting to me. For those that may not know, what does a honeypot do? How, how do you tie a honeypot into this? Because sometimes you hear the word and you're like, what does that really mean in this context? So the great thing about our industry is we love to rediscover stuff. If you look at probably the greatest security book that was ever written, it's called The Cuckoo's Egg by Cliff Stoll. And Cliff Stoll, he's a legend. I mean, you see his TED Talk on the topic, but essentially what he did in Bell Labs, I think early 80s, maybe even mid 80s, was there was a hacker that had sort of broken into Bell Labs and All he did was he he didn't get a budget from his boss to sort of track this down because back then everyone thought he he, he was nuts because he was saying someone's hacking into Bell Labs. But what he did was he set up all these fake systems and he monitored them down to having a dot matrix printer that would print out what the attacker was doing. So he started the idea of honeypots and places that you could trap a human adversary who may even be more technically proficient than you or may have the jump on you in terms of he may have knowledge of your network or he may just have some sort of advantages. So we started there and then the industry shifted. We moved to perimeter security and we started doing firewalls and stuff like that. So we thought we would keep people out. We said that that perimeter would be impenetrable and we all know how that worked out. So we rediscovered honeypots. And I think Lisa and I had a chat about this and uh, about a company called Mykonos, which was one of the early companies in this space. And now we've sort of run that cycle again, where now we've come to the point where we know how to do prevention. Zero trust networks uh, as an architecture are probably the best way we can do protection. But what about detection? What if something slips through? What if it's an insider threat? What if someone just bribes someone to do something like Stuxnet? How are you going to detect that? And that's where we need to go back uh, and think about how Cliff Stoll uh, dealt with it back in the past, because it's a very efficient form of threat detection. So Pam, the simple answer, I give you a long-winded version. The simple answer to your question, a honeypot is any type of fake asset on your network, something of value that if touched, it's going to scream. And this doesn't just mean it has to be a server or a desktop. It could be a password. It could be data. It could be network traffic. Literally anything logical that an attacker could go after, we can create a deceptive version of it. And if anyone touches that decoy, you're going to know that they're in the house. The best analogy I have for this is the movie Home Alone. Um, I'm probably dating myself here, but if you think about it, he had to defend this, this like incredible, like he had the whole house to defend on his own. He didn't do it by monitoring everything. He just set traps in places. And if the bad guys were unlucky enough to go and try the doorknob, well, you get burned. That's what deception is. That's what honeypots are. So I want to pull on that string about Mykonos. Um, I was at Juniper when we acquired them. And that was, I think, one of the first intrusion deception products. But it was entirely network-based. So I was extremely excited about it because I had done a lot of work on intrusion prevention on IPS systems. And the idea of intrusion deception was a huge leap forward. 
it sounds like you've taken the next leap into cloud-based deception. So how is cloud-based deception different from some of these early attempts at it? You're spot on, Lisa. And if you look at, you know, Mykonos was a company, in my opinion, before their time. And shout out to that team if they're listening to this. But they focused, as you said, on the network and web application side, right? And it's still very relevant. There's a lot of deception that, and, you know, active defense that we do, which is still built on some of the principles that they brought to the table. What we've done is we've extended that because not everything is network driven. Not everything is web applications, though a lot of it is. Now what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, how can we architecturally fit active defense into security as a framework? Until Zero Trust came along, this was very difficult to do. Even the company I ran for six years, we were a point solution. We weren't integrated and integral to the stack or the architecture. And I'm a big fan of architectural solutions to cybersecurity. So what we're trying to do is, we're extending the sort of deceptive work and active defense to every possible property, identity systems. If you use, say, Active Directory, it's, it's the number one target for adversaries. Nine out of 10 attacks involve Active Directory. We have deception there. You need network traffic. Someone's going to sniff your network traffic. There's fake network traffic there. If I bro- broke into your machine, Lisa, today, what's the first thing I would do? I would go see what does Lisa do? What files does she have? Where does she log in? Where are her mm-hmm. credentials, right? What can I touch? We, what can you touch? Exactly. And we are going to give the bad guys this fake attack surface. So, you know, if you track what's happening in the industry, there's this process of uh, attack surface reduction. What we're trying to do is we're trying to, while we reduce attack surface, give fake attack surface to the bad guys so that even if they think that they have access to things, we're just going to catch them. So that's what we're extending. And obviously, we're baking this in into the architecture of Zero Trust. Think about it this way. Here's a, here's a quick question. What is, in any framework, be it NIST or any of the others, what is the threat detection component of a Zero Trust architecture? Nobody's talked about it. There isn't. So we're going to do the same. Hey, we'll prevent everything all over again. But it's just not going to happen. You're going to have to go further than that. You're going to have to detect and respond. That is what we think active defense is fitting in in a brilliant way into into that architecture now. Jumping off from there, how will you integrate into the Zscaler architecture? Is this going to tie into ZIA? Is it going to tie into ZPA? Let's start with what can we do today? And then I'll ask you later on what we will be able to do in the future. The good news is we already, you know, we can sell the solution with loosely coupled integrations today. We have a number of customers. Even straight after the acquisition, I think within two weeks, we had customers uh, coming to us saying, we think this is great and it really solves the problem. And, you know, as you integrate, we want to kind of get in. So we, we, we solve for that. But within, you know, and I'm probably putting my engineering team on the spot here, probably within the next couple of weeks, we will have our first full-blown Zero Trust integration into ZPA. What that'll mean is you can deploy deception uh, based on the zero trust policies that you have through ZPA. So no appliances, nothing for you to do. It just, it's a push button capability. You spin it up. We already know which users go to which applications from which devices. We have that trust ecosystem. So instead of thinking about networks and IP addresses and VLANs and subnets and VPCs, we'll just say, hey, these users, these applications, these devices create deception around that. So that's step one. Step two is every single person who has uh, our client connector running uh, is going to get this capability baked in. That's probably a couple of months out. That's a huge goal, but I'm excited about it. So here, let me ask you those. So it's baked into ZPA. Well, it'll be baked into ZPA. It'll be into client connector. 
But how do you determine where else, because I'm understanding that you could put it anywhere in your network. How else do you determine where else to put it in addition to the Zscaler, ZPA and Client Connector? So Pam, when you look at it, the best thing about customers that are on the zero trust journey is their traffic, um, sort of the decisions around which bits and bytes go to where is made in Zscaler's cloud. And we make those decisions with all the telemetry of everything from sandboxing to DLP to workload segmentation. We have all that information, right? So we're trying to leverage that capability where basically decisions of where decoys will be will be based off what we know about from the trust exchange. That being said, if a customer is not fully on board, like there are some customers that are walking this, it's a journey. It's not, you know, it's not something you just buy. We can deploy this capability into legacy networks. So if somebody's got NGFWs, firewalls, VLANs, the coolest thing that we had, I got off a customer call yesterday. They said that one of the reasons they're doing network segmentation is because they're really worried about lateral movement, but they think that their, their zero trust journey is going to take them some time. So they're trying to go and do all this segmentation at the network level. And we showed them uh, this capability and they said, you know, this just makes our life so simple. In, in a couple of weeks, we can deploy this. And you know what, even if the networks are not yet segmented, we can spend our efforts on the future architecture, which is zero trust, while still solving for risk and detecting threats if they move laterally. That nice. is awesome. That is really awesome. But you know, given the fact of my previous life and having to go ahead and not only implement, but operate it, what does it take to operationalize and maintain something like this? This is a question really close to my heart. I think that there's enough security solutions and enough layers that you can have. If we had to say in Smokescreen, what was our one USP? Easy. And there's precious few deception companies that do this because it's, again, one more capability. There's hundreds of things you can do. Deception is not a technology. It's a, it's a way of thinking. So there's hundreds of ways of deceiving an attacker. Our default is to say no, unless we can solve for how easy is it to do. I can think of ways that I can make all sorts of deception on your endpoint. But if you accidentally click on it and erase the false positive, I'm wasting the security team's time. So what we have done is we have tried to make this as simple as possible. What that means is, and here's a great example. We had a customer that did a two-week POC, completed it, gave us the purchase order, and moved into production with a click of a button. And in terms of operational overhead, if you're seeing hundreds of hits on your deception platform, and if you need to think about hiring a team to sit and monitor it, you've done deception wrong. It's supposed to be set it and forget it. it the Kevin Arnold analogy for, from Home Alone again, right? He was not running around checking every single place. It's there. It's a tripwire. If it gets tripped, you see it, then you deal with it. You don't keep uh, going and you know, futzing with it from time to time. Makes sense. As we're thinking about longer term zero trust initiatives, it's pretty clear how this aligns with a zero trust strategy. What do you see as the longer term or the larger picture? Where do we go from here? I think, Lisa, if you look at Zscaler's acquisitions, you can read the tea leaves. So we think lateral movement and we think internal segmentation is a problem. We think there are ways to solve for it. One of the things that we're spending a lot of brain cycles on right now is how do we integrate with our workload segmentation product, which came in uh, off the Edgewise Networks acquisition? Great use case. We can solve for prevention and detection and containment and response with these two products married together. 
But overall, one of the reasons I was so happy to sort of join the Zscaler family was that we think architecture here, right? Yes. We're, we're not just buying companies and painting them blue and white. We're not doing that. There's recent conversations about how this will be the future of cybersecurity. So if I had to sum it up, if you are thinking about zero trust networks, the future of threat detection in those networks will be everything that we're building with Zscaler Deception today. Cool, cool. Any final thoughts you want to leave us with? This is fun. And I think it's great that we actually have this capability. And for those of you who are Zscaler customers listening in, you can get this capability super fast because it's already baked into most of the stuff that you already have. So please drop us a note, not a sales pitch. I'm a product guy. Just excited to take this and make this the widest act of defense on the planet. And if you're tracking this, go check out the great work that the guys at MITRE are doing. Uh, MITRE launched, everyone knows MITRE Attack. Uh, MITRE has launched what they call MITRE Engage, which is basically everything that we're thinking about. And we're working closely with MITRE folks to make this a reality. Yeah, the MITRE Engage framework is really cool stuff. Well, I have to say, Sahir, this was so interesting. So many are reactive. This allows so many to get that visibility that ties into you don't know what you don't know. This now opens the door to say, hey, now you will know, right? You can see these things. You can see who's in there, who shouldn't be in there. This has been a great conversation for everybody. Wanna, again, Lisa and I want to thank you, Sahir, for joining us. Love the conversation. And for all of our listeners, thank you again for joining us. Hopefully you found this as interesting as Lisa and I did. And we look forward to speaking to all of you guys again soon. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find Lisa Lorenzen and Pam Kubiatowski on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com or on LinkedIn. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult with your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2021.